You're listening to Real Conversations about faith in the world we live in. Welcome to Truth Be Told. Well, welcome to our very first uh, episode of Truth Be Told, this very first show that we have a opportunity, an opportunity for us to reach out to uh, people all around who'd like to listen a little bit to the truth of the church, but I want to do this in just a little bit uh, of a different way. Um, I am Father John Fleckenstein. I'm the pastor of St. Philip Church in Battle Creek, and um, instead of just having a show where we simply talk about apologetics, give some different uh, topics and explain it purely in that way, I'd like to have an opportunity to use this as mostly uh, an opportunity to have guests, people to uh, sit and talk with and uh, share their own faith experiences, and out of that will come the apologetics and the truth. And so our very first guest on Truth Be Told is, uh, we have the honor of having with us Bishop Paul Bradley, the Bishop of the Diocese of Kalamazoo. Bishop, you're our first guest. Welcome. Father John, it's uh, really great to be here. Thanks very much for this opportunity, and I, I just want to commend you for um, providing this kind of a forum for uh, getting the truth uh, out to our people so that there's a, a, a different and, um, and wonderful way that they can hear what, uh, what the church is saying these days. It's just, uh, you know, when we talk about new evangelization, it's one of those things that I think is so unique, and we're so privileged here to have this equipment uh, here at St. Phillips. It's just the ideal situation for us. So, Well, it's an honor for me to be uh, your first guest, and I, I hope to come back uh, again if I do a good You're welcome job. anytime, anytime <laughs> at all. So I'll, I'll bump whoever else might be uh, scheduled, and you're welcome anytime. Bishop, I want to start by talking about a letter that you uh, just recently released, um, and, and certainly very timely uh, as we uh, approach um, a very important election and Many people are asking a lot of different questions about what to think about and how to form a conscience. Your letter is uh, letting our faith form our conscience. Before I start that, though, could you, you have lots of different ways that you communicate with the people. You have pastoral letters, certainly your homilies, uh, other ways. How would you define this letter? It, does it rank in a sense as pastoral letter or is how does that work in terms of, a, if you want to call it a hierarchy of communication? Well, as you say, Father John, there are a number of ways of, of communicating. I, I, I think an important role of the bishop is to teach. Uh, that's one of the three primary um, responsibilities of, of all bishops, to teach, to lead, to help people to be, grow in holiness. And so uh, the teaching office is really one that can be done in a variety of ways. Uh, in our day and age, we have all of these wonderful ways that we can communicate. But the written word is, is still the, the one that is at the root of it all. And so we, um, I, I do tweet every day. I mean, that's an opportunity for right. me to get mm -hmm. a, a message out to all of the people, anybody that um, uh, is following, to, um, to hear what God's word is saying to us perhaps today. Uh, as you mentioned, homily. So I try to post my homilies as much as I possibly can. There are um, special events that come along, and so that's when I will write a letter to the faithful about a particular event. But in this, in this time that we're in, there are special letters, and I would call them special letters. Um, I think they could very well be called pastoral letters, but they're special 
letters that address very particular, specific um, uh, issues and, and the, the time in which we live. So um, there have been opportunities that during the pandemic, of course, when we had to talk about what is that all doing to us in, as people of faith. As you mentioned, we're approaching a very important time in our in our society. It's not news to anybody to know that we're living in some pretty turbulent times. There's a growing sense of division. There's a there's a, a growing almost intolerance for hearing what each other is saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the ways uh, that has been a sacred part of our uh, society since our founding is that the people have an opportunity to express themselves through the voting process. So what this letter is, I believe it is a pastoral letter, is to try to help to teach how do we approach something even as what we might say as secular mm-hmm. <laughs> as voting mm-hmm. is, but we can never divorce ourselves from the fact that we're pe- we're doing that as people of faith. We're American citizens who are people of faith. Um, Or shall we say we're people of faith who happen to be American citizens. So it's it's faith that's the important dimension here. So how do we, as you mentioned in the title of the letter, letting faith form our conscience? We've always said that a person's conscience is the most, is the ultimate guide. But we always have to make sure that our conscience is well formed. Yes. And, and, and I think that's one of the things most mis- misunderstood. It's used a lot, I would say, sure. when people say, well, doesn't the church teach in the, in the end, you must follow your conscience? Right. Well, that may be true, but there's a, but we have to understand what that means. Is it a well-informed conscience or is it just um, how you feel and, and therefore your conscience tells you to do something? And that's, I think that's important for us to make that distinction um, because otherwise it, it does become how do you feel? It's just your opinion, right? In, in a sense, um, but this is much more than an opinion. You know what what we uh, what we need to be doing as people of faith is uh, again we don't leave our faith outside the voting booth. You know our faith is something that helps to make us who we are uh, in in every aspect of life. So that's why this letter is significant, and it's an opportunity to try to help to guide. In the very beginning of your letter, in fact, your very first uh, line refers to uh, that we are members of two realities, the city of God and the city of humanity. Can you um, explain those, those, how you would, how you label those, the city of God, city of humanity? How does that fit into our daily lives? Well, you know, obviously um, in our diocese, we're very privileged to have as our diocese and patron, St. Augustine. Um, St. Augustine it wrote that beautiful classic spiritual, uh, The City of God. And it's, um, you know, his account of, of his own uh, conversion to, to the ways of faith. So borrowing the image from St. Augustine himself, um, we're people that live in, uh, in the reality that we're people of God, we're people of the kingdom of God, the city of God, but we're also people that live in this world. So we're this city of humanity. And for us, this city is the United States of America. So we live in those two dimensions, but we have responsibilities in both as well. So how do we fulfill our responsibilities as good citizens, but also at the same time remaining faithful people of God? Right. 
You know, and in that very the beginning, we you talked about um, when we are sort of putting together having a well informed conscience. You refer to the Beatitudes and Catholic social teaching as a great way to be able to begin to inform our conscience as to decisions that we make. Very quickly, can you say something about um, Catholic social teaching and social justice? And the reason that I uh, labeled that is because I remember there are many people who will say sometimes, well, they hear social justice and they think of that as a negative of some kind, where Mm -hmm. they they use it as a negative. I remember there was a a parishioner that once came to me and said, I can't believe that you're teaching social justice as, as if it was something negative. Could you just explain a little bit about uh, when you refer to the principles of Catholic social teaching, how does that play into um, forming one's conscience? Well, I would say that social justice can be a good and it can be, uh, you know, not so much a good. Uh, When we listen to the gospel of Jesus, and particularly those that flow from the Beatitudes, um, we find that that's the those are the guidelines for what social justice is all about in the sense of uh, as Jesus has come to reveal that to us. So we begin with the fact that we're all made in the image and likeness of God, every person. And so uh, that means that each person deserves respect. So over the course of time, the church has reflected on those teachings of Jesus into a body of uh, documents that have come to be known as Catholic social teachings, various encyclicals by the Holy Fathers over a number of centuries. So it's not just one pope at one point that wrote something about it. It's been a long reflection on what does it mean for us to treat one another in the way Jesus has taught us should we should be treated, most particularly in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, the whole, not just the Beatitudes, but the whole Sermon on the Mount. Okay. In the classic uh, part at the end of Matthew's Gospel with the great parable of the final judgment, so when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. Those are the what we've come to know as the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, sure. all part of the body of Catholic sure. social teaching. You, uh, in the letter then, you talk about when it comes to forming a conscience and listening and thinking about and praying about these things. Really, I think uh, if I read it correctly, you begin with the first thing to begin with is the protection of human life from natural conception to natural death. Um, And you talk about, and I want to quote this, we should never consider casting a vote with the, and you underline, specific intention of supporting or advancing abortion or other intrinsically evil uh, issue. Could you expand on that just a little bit and say... um, about the, the specific intention part of things. What are you, uh, how are you referring that, or what, why did you underline it so that we could really um, pay attention, to listen to that? When we look at um, the world in which we live, uh, we're not a perfect world, you know, far right. from it. And uh, when we look at uh, uh, political parties, and when we look at uh, candidates for office, you know, we're all human beings that are, uh, have our own limitations and imperfections. So when we consider practically any candidate or any political platform, there's no one candidate, no political platform that's going to be totally consistent with the church's teachings. So we have to look at things of the proportionality. What are the greatest goods and what are the worst evils? Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, 
there's not just one degree. There are some evils that are worse than others' sure. evils. And so um, it, we can never vote with the specific intention of advancing what's clearly an evil. So, that, so what, that's what, what that means. What do you say to the person that's out there that may be listening who says, look, this isn't really a realm that you should be getting into right now. This mm -hmm. is, don't, don't we understand that there's a separation of church and state? It's fundamental to our country, and you shouldn't even be referring to this kind of thing. How would you respond to somebody like that? Because you know that's what we hear quite oh, often. Sure. Well, you know, I think that that's, uh, that is a very common, um, uh, almost an excuse you know, that we, we do not, um, it, w the separation of church and state means that the, that the state can't take over the r responsibilities of the church. There's that great um, religious freedom that, that we've been guaranteed by God and that, um, you know, most civilized societies right. try to respect. So, uh, but that doesn't mean that we stop being a person of faith when we enter into uh, the the realm of the city of humanity. Right. So, um, you know, the church has the responsibility, not only the right, but the responsibility to teach the truth. Um, and the truth um, is uh, important for whether it's a political issue. Um, any political issue has a moral dimension sure. to it. And so, we have to be considering what what does that mean to us as a person of faith. So, you know, it that that argument, while it's common, right. is not valid. Did it make you at all um, nervous to put something like this together, knowing oh. that the way it uh, could be received? I uh, this was a, a responsibility that that I I I know that I have, and but I've prayerfully yeah. taken a, a good bit of time to try to to. Uh, prepare it in a way that uh, would be as clear as it could be. So that's why this doesn't. This letter doesn't in any way talk about elections. I mean, it does right. make reference to elections, but it's about forming conscience. And you list in here um, three different uh, things, three principles to keep in mind as informing one's uh, conscience. And those three are issues of life and then issues of liberty and issues of pursuit of happiness. Those are, of course, terms that uh, we have all used and heard before, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, one of the things I was curious about, and again, it's, I, I'm sure in part it was simply because we, we think of it in that order, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Is there, because of that phrase, is that why you broke down in those three areas in that order? Or did you break it down in that order because number one is life? And number two, then, is or was it just uh, from the use of the life, liberty, pursuit of happiness? I think uh, both. Okay. I, I think, you know, as, as, as we read the Declaration of Independence, when, when those three uh, rights are indicated, I, the way I read it is because there is an order to uh, those three realities. Yeah. Uh, you can't have happiness if you're not free to, to pursue it. And you can't practice be be free sure. if you don't have a life to live. Sure. So one really um, leads to the other. They're not they're three equal, yes for sure, but there's a bit of a hierarchy there as well. Yeah. So that's why I uh, decided to try to in the three principles 
to to look at those three un, unalienable rights that were guaranteed through the through our constitution in the city of humanity to say that's those are important ways to distinguish between what what are the greatest goods and the worst evils um, and and to pursue them that way. You know, I would encourage, highly encourage uh, anybody who's listening to this to go to the website of the Diocese of Kalamazoo, um, diokazoo.org, D-I-O-K-Z-O-O.org, because uh, the letter, uh, it's really a, a relatively short letter, but it says so much in uh, in just a couple of pages. And I and as we're all reflecting on how to develop our conscience, it really gives a lot of uh Good information, a lot of reflection in it to be able to take a look at. So I would, I would highly recommend that. You know, at the end of the letter, uh, Bishop, as uh, is often the case with many pastoral letters, um, uh, not even just for, certainly from you, but uh, from the Holy Father right along, and that is the role of the Blessed Mother. You often see that as a, a way that different things are concluded. The documents of Vatican II, for example, you know, run to the. Uh, conclude talking about the role of the Blessed Mother. And so can you just mention a little bit that when we're informing our conscience and how we're thinking about making decisions, what role does the Blessed Mother um, play in all of this? Well, of course, she's the greatest human being to ever live. Um, she uh, is a human being, you know, as a, a Jesus came to be both, uh, to be with us both as God and as man. Mary is, is a complete human being who lived her life in absolute conformity to God's holy will. So uh, if, if we would look at our lives as uh, being in the process of trying to conform our wills to God, trying to understand what God's will is, and through humility and conversion and turning away from sin, do we try to conform more uh, to God's ways? then the Blessed Mother becomes the, really the exemplar of the one who had completely conformed herself to God. We too can look to her as a, as a way to say, we can do that. Uh, it's possible. Mary did it right. with the grace of God. Right. Uh, we can do the same. And that's why Mary stands always as the great example to us as human beings. It seems to me that uh, a great way of uh, maybe, as you say, the letter is not about election, but maybe a great way to make decisions and to be able to decide what boxes to check, uh, maybe talk to the Blessed Mother first about it, because, um, sure. to, to be informed in, in that special way. Bishop, I want to thank you for this opportunity to be able to have this conversation. And uh, before we conclude, would you offer a prayer and a blessing for everyone? Well, you're very welcome, Father John. I, too, am grateful for this opportunity. And as we conclude, I just... Uh, uh, offer this prayer of thanksgiving. Loving and gracious God, we thank you for the gift of life and for the gift of this great uh, privilege of living in this United States of America. So we ask your blessing upon us in this particular time to guide us, to, to uh, help us to know what your will is in the ways that we exercise this great responsibility and help us always to do so in conformity to your holy will. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Bishop, again, thank you. And uh, I hope everyone's enjoyed this very first show of Truth Be Told. And uh, you're going to uh, help us out with a couple of other uh, episodes, a couple other shows as well. And so, again, thank you for being here. And we'll look forward to the next time. Thank you, Father John. God bless you.